All right. Um, welcome to Let's Get Real with HR. Myself, Konstantin Sky, and I have Chris Radwanski here from Rad Consultants. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Constantine. Excited to be here. And let's talk some people analytics. What do you say? Yeah, we'll talk people analytics, HR, contingent labor more generally. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the, to the listeners? Sure. Uh, so Chris Radvansky, I spent more than 10 years within the contingent labor analytics space and just more broadly, the contingent workforce space, uh, really driving insights that are data driven to our clients. You know, some clients that have very, very large contingent labor organizations, more than $100 million in spend, more than $500 million in spend across SOW or statement of work activity, staff augmentation. So really all things non-employee labor. As long as we could measure it, we could capture that data, we want to provide some insights on it. And that's what me and my team are doing. Yeah. Speaking of insights, what are some of the big trends that are happening right now in this particular space? Well, the trend is flexibility, uh, skills-based organizations. And I think that that okay. is something that's very prevalent within just companies as a whole, HR, right? Who do we have on board? What skills do they have? How can we leverage our employees to drive initiatives uh, you know, for, for across the organization? However, that same type of conversation needs to be had for your non-employee population. So who can do what, where, you know, which suppliers, which staffing suppliers are they coming from? What kind of quality are we getting? What's the bill rates? And is that going up? Is that going down? And what's our inventory of skills that we need to have on, on, on hand right now? Well, you know, here's an interesting question, actually. Um, and I was thinking as you were describing, who is the primary audience of this uh, particular work. And at first, you would think that it would be someone like a COO or maybe a CHRO who is going to be owning the um, the entirety of the space. Uh, but perhaps it is more sort of on the business side of things. Uh, where, where does contingent work typically sit within the organization? Yeah, there's two. There's two areas. It would be CHRO. So absolutely, HR or talent acquisition is kind of could be considered one and the same. Of course, Within HR, you have many different aspects of it, but talent acquisition is probably the most prevalent uh, in my experience. So that's one. The other one would be procurement. So because you are working with an outside vendor, that could be a staffing supplier or that could be a MSP, which is a managed services provider, uh, that's an outside vendor. And therefore, that is where procurement could potentially own that relationship from a B2B perspective. And what causes uh, a company to decide to go this route uh, just in general? Like, how, Where does it all start? I, it starts with businesses want to be flexible, right? Mm -hmm. They want to avoid any kind of a layoff. That, that's really what it comes to, to to a degree. You do not want the reputational damage that can come along with a layoff. Also, seasonality. If you only need a certain volume of individuals at a certain time of the year, you don't need to hire them full time. And therefore, yes, it makes perfect sense to engage on a part time, contemporary, contingent type of a basis. And therefore, that whole ecosystem of leveraging a just-in-time skills inventory needed to be supported with some kind of a structure. And that's where companies stepped in and said, you know what, I'm not going to be the full-time routine search type of a recruiter. I'm going to focus my efforts and my entire company on just contingent workers, freelance management, um, different terminologies that are within the, the, the contingent labor space. So because the need was there for that flexibility, all of a sudden this industry popped up out of nowhere back in the early 90s when Microsoft got hit with some uh, co-employment risk and, of course, a major lawsuit that was associated with identifying their workers, contingent workers, not as employees. Uh, according to all the regulations of the land within the United States, that was a big no-no, and uh, they paid the, 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 the price as a result. So, therefore, companies started popping up and saying, listen, 
We'll help you get in front of that risk. Make sure that doesn't happen to you. You don't get fined millions and millions of dollars for this uh, this non-compliance. And that's really where it's coming from. And how does it affect the other side of flexibility? So we're talking about kind of the business flexibility of hiring different individuals at different points in time, uh, say seasonal uh, businesses per se. Uh, but what happens with that employee side of the flexibility as well? Are we talking about that too, or are, is it primarily uh, from the perspective of workforce planning? Well, I think that a total talent management scope needs to be applied here. And what is total mm-hmm. talent management? That's really taking your full-time yeah, employees, that? understanding what they can do, right? Total talent management. I know. So it's funny. I was on a call today. There's a company called a SIA, Staffing Industry Analysts. And they're essentially a research oversight body to a degree, not regulatory, but just kind of help everybody in the ecosystem within contingent labor. And they said that, you know, back in 2010, the term total talent management was first used. And today, it's always a buzz term. It's always a word that is used. Today, less than 5% of companies are employing total talent management in some way, shape, or form. When you think total talent management, what the heck is it? Yeah, it is considering your full-time employees and your, your employee base. But that could be uh, augmented with a very, very large portion of contingent workers that maybe historically are seen as a band-aid, right? You know, it's just a temp. It's, oh, we just have a temp over here. We just have 25 temps over there. We're leveraging light industrial activity and we just need some temp workers and we have a vendor on premise to be able to facilitate that. Um, if it's viewed as just a temp, it will not be addressed in a strategic fashion. And that's really where the contingent labor industry is coming in and saying, listen, you know, this is something that we're spending a lot of money on across the organization and across the world. Trillions of dollars when you consider SOW, statement of work activity for some large SOW vendors that are out there. Uh, even a lot of the big four accounting firms, they engage in SOW labor. That kind of activity doesn't find its way into the PeopleSofts and the HRIS systems of the world. It finds its way into a VMS, a vendor management system. And so you need to be able to take into account the total talent of individuals that are working, whether it's full-time employees or otherwise, to make some strategic decisions about how you can get your, your initiatives completed. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, uh, and, and the separation between HRS and BMS actually comes into play in here, right? Because we don't want to misclassify people and uh, repeat the mistakes that uh, you know other organizations like Microsoft, you mentioned, have made in the past. What are some of the delineating factors between the two different types of workforce in this case, and what does total talent management uh, looks like in particular? And the main reason for why I'm asking that is because, you know, from the HR standpoint, when we think about talent management, we're thinking about the entire talent management lifecycle, starting when somebody enters the organization, goes through the onboarding and assessments, and then develops within the organization, perhaps gets promoted, moves between different roles, and then at the end of it, leaves the organization. So that is the scope for the full-time employees. And it looks quite different for the contingent workforce, doesn't it? Well, it, it does to a degree, for sure. Um, and, and let me jump back to your question as to what was that? Um, what, what defines an FTE versus a contractor? Uh, there is a test called the Darden test. And that is something that came out that said, listen, if your situation in terms of your uh, relationship with a worker, with an individual, meets one of these criteria, then technically they should be a full-time employee. So the IRS has defined rules of engagement when it comes to bringing on a a worker and how should they be defined. And the reason for that is you want to consider pay parity, okay? So if there's a a worker that is being paid $20 an hour and they're a full-time employee, they're also making the equivalent of an additional $8 an hour when it comes to their benefits, their vacation time, and, and, and things of that nature. When you think about a contingent worker, 
they're because they're not an employee, they're not receiving the same benefits as a full-time employee. And therefore, are they being compensated fairly if they also make $20 an hour? For, according to pay parity laws, they are not. And in fact, they need to make sure that as a company to remain in compliance with the constantly updating regulations, including California SB 1162 and the New Jersey Bill of Rights, these things that are coming up uh, on a regular basis. They need to be aware of these compliance rules and they need to know how do I remain compliant uh, while also optimizing my total talent ecosystem. Uh, it's a lot, a lot to consider. Well, it's interesting, and it sounds like you actually have all of those laws somewhere in front of you right now. Uh, but one of the questions that I have it's, is that there's it, it almost feels like a gray, blurred line between an employee and a contractor. What are some of the ways that um, you've seen from the analytics standpoint that you can quantify uh, that distinction? Perhaps it is looking into compensation, or maybe it is looking into other aspects of the employment law. Like, What are some of the things that you've seen? Yeah, the, one of the big things that a lot of people talk about is what level of oversight is being employed upon this worker? Is, is If they're a contingent worker, should they be directed in every single thing that they do as you know to, to accomplish the goals of the organization? Technically, no. Are they leveraging company uh, physical assets, you know, whether it's a computer or something else? If, if they're only using content, you know, uh, company assets, then that is another indication that they might be an employee, not a contingent worker. Uh, and then also it comes to, to pay parity is, a, is another item there. So there are a number of different tests that need to be upheld to say, OK, listen, we are engaging with this worker in a compliant way by calling them a contingent worker. Now, there are staffing suppliers out there that say, listen, this is our employee. We'll loan them to you. We'll put you we'll put that individual worker onto our end buyer uh, requisite request. And therefore, they can fill that role. They can they can do the uh, do the tasks. But the staffing supplier retains employment of that worker. So in fact, the staffing supplier could be giving them the benefits and the, the vacation time and things of that nature. So again, whole ecosystem really stemmed from compliance and regulations. So if I'm a company and I want to get started with contingent workers, uh, where do I go? What do, what do I do as the first step? I think that it all comes down to structure. And anytime uh, you think about structure these days, it needs to be scalable. It needs to be employed across the entire organization. And the way that you can do that is through technology. So uh, there, I, I mentioned the term VMS, vendor management system. Uh, you think about it, system, VMS system. Uh, that is a system in which everybody within your organization, your hiring managers say, listen, I need a contingent worker. I need a way to uh, source them. So how can I find them quickly? How do I know what the bill rate I should be expecting to pay for that? Which vendors outside can help me source these workers in a, in a fair and equitable way? Uh, so I think the technology is step one. And then you do start to think about, okay, how do we want to govern that type of a structure. So you start putting policies in place all around your contingent labor activity. Then you have to decide, all right, this seems like a separate operation. We have our uh, full-time recruiting talent acquisition folks for our full-time employees. We do need to do this a little bit differently for our contingent workers. And therefore, do we want to hire somebody that has worked in the contingent labor space for a long time that knows all the ins and outs and the regulations I'm alluding to here? Or do we want to bring in a vendor, a managed services provider or an MSP to help foster that entire ecosystem. And, and there's programs that have you know, an MSP of one person. You know, the MSP is the people side, the VMS is, is a technology side. Could be a one person support group, or it could be a 15 person uh, MSP or even larger than that. So um, just know the terms that are out there, know the risks associated with, if you choose to not treat this as a strategic uh, aspect of your organization, you're, you're going to lose money, you might have some compliance risks. Um, and, and that's where you need to just be educating yourself. 
Yeah, and you know, one of the biggest things that I've seen in organizations is that they actually don't go through that process at all. And if anything, that's, uh, say, procurement, legal, HR, all the different departments are sort of trying to figure out who actually owns uh, this particular part of the workforce planning and uh, execution and operations. Uh, overall, what are some of the other mistakes that companies make in this particular space that are that can be super costly? Uh, inconsistency in processes because there's no structure in place. Mm-hmm. So if you go from one hiring manager to the next to the next, think, let's say they're in different departments. You got three different hiring managers. You got three different departments. One's in marketing. Let's say they're they're all within IT, but like one's in infrastructure, one's in development, what have you. They're all engaging with the same supplier, staffing supplier. Let's say there's a very you know a lot of different names out there, very large companies that also play in both full time and contingent. But they could be hiring maybe the same skill, but there could be a twenty to twenty five percent variance in terms of the bill rate from one manager to the next to the next, just based upon what kind of conversations they had, how long the relationship has been, you know, handshake deals. Um, But because you don't have a centralized effort in maintaining all that data in a very consistent fashion, you don't recognize there's a lot of cost savings to be had there. Uh, So again, being thoughtful, being intentional, being strategic about all of your people related operations is going to be absolutely critical. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, I'm hearing systems. I'm thinking inconsistencies, eliminate all the inconsistencies and make sure that everything is uh, is good and organized. Um, and, you know, this podcast is all about a little bit of the controversial. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the big controversial topics in the contingent labor space right now? And that's going to be the final question I'm going to throw out for you here. Well, I, I mean, I don't think there's, there's much con- controversy regarding contingent labor. I think that it's right now, it's not recognized how broadly it is, it is used. Um, I think that people can say, well, listen, we have a company, we have 500 employees within our company, and you know, we have roughly 25 contingent workers. Okay, sounds, sounds about right. And then all of a sudden you actually start digging and you peel back the onion, you say, oh, you know what, we just found another 25. Okay. I mean, another conversation with somebody that's, that sits over in London and they have 13 themselves. Okay, well, we have somebody over in Poland and they have another 15 and they only have 15 FTEs, but that's how it's working. You say, okay. So at what point do you take all those OKs and all those pockets, bring them together and make sure that we're operating compliantly? I'm going to always come back to compliance. That's the name of the game here because you don't want that reputational risk, uh, but it's also cost savings. It's also efficiency. It's also streamlining. So the controversy is that there it's just a vast number. It's a very understated number of contingent workers that are being leveraged. I mentioned uh, Twitter. Twitter, when, when Elon took control of the company and they had 7,500 workers, they're down to 1,500 workers. But he said on a, a very popular podcast, All In, I like All In podcasts, um, he said that, yeah, we have 1,500 workers, but we have 5,000 contractors, 5,000 contractors for 1,500 employees. So it speaks to the fact that you don't have to be a massive organization to have a massive contingent labor population. You just need to be flexible and see the need and the, 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 the interest in doing that and also recognize what's coming. Uh, I think that with flexible work and with layoffs happening across the industry, you're going to see companies saying, all right, I only want to bring on folks when I really, really need them. They're going to cultivate a, a private talent network that will be able to bring in those skills on an as-needed basis. Um, so, yeah. Uh, awesome. So it sounds like quite a few people might not even know how many people they have within that particular um, the segment of the workforce, and uh, which, which is super interesting. And if you are listening and if you are thinking about how many people do I have, you probably should go ahead and check uh, with your leaders and within your organization where those people are. Um, so that brings us to the end of this rad. 
uh, podcast. Thank you, Chris Rodbonsky. I'm going to throw the links to uh, your consultancy and as well as any other links uh, as well. But uh, it was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and educate us about the contingent workforce. Constantine, you educate me all the time. So I'm happy to repay the favor for you and, and your listeners here. All right. Cheers, everyone. See you next week.